Okay, hello everyone. I am Dr. D, AKA Food Alchemist. As you know, I am the CEO of Food Alchemy Network. This, I told you, is our series of talking about expats from different countries, American expats that lived from other countries. We're spreading it worldwide. So I have a good friend of mine that I met in a women's travel group many, many moons ago, many, many moons ago. Uh, <laughs> that she has a travel group. Her name is Miss Cha Jones. Uh, she was very resourceful for actually being a key of actually giving me the spirit and the encouragement to move overseas the first time. Not well, no, I won't say that. The first time to go to Thailand and live in Korea and go outside the box and giving me options. Um, before that, I didn't think a person such as myself would be able to go overseas. Number one, I was not in my 20s. Um, I didn't have a bank account, like a trust fund. I'm not a trust fund baby. I'm not a Harris. So, you know, all these things that you see other people do that you admire, I watched and I got involved in this group and listen how other women travel and felt safe. And that's what I liked about it. It was bringing safety to us as women and giving us options. So without further ado, I'm gonna introduce her because she's also a new mommy. Um, and she's talking to us, not in America like me right now, but she's <laughs> from another country, yay! So <laughs> Okay, Ms. Jones, go go on, tell them a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm the founder and CEO of Expat Women of Color. It is a nonprofit 501c3 organization that basically helps um, with professional development, coaching, and expat resources for women of color. Um, I founded the organization back when I was living in South Korea, Ooh, a long time ago, as <laughs> so I founded it in 2010, and um, we became a nonprofit in 2012. We had several different bloggers that blogged about their experiences. We had at that time we had like 10 in 10 different countries, and um, we were growing by leaps and bounds. Now we have over 6,000 women in over 32 different countries that are within the uh, Facebook group. And I am currently living in uh, Merida, Mexico, which is a little town that's off of the Gulf, um, about four hours uh, northwest of Cancun. Um, but yeah, I'm an intercultural coach as well as consultant. And um, I help women who are primarily women, I help anybody, but primarily women who are trying to figure out their purpose and place in life. And I help direct them and guide them um, through spiritual uh, awareness and resources. I do numerology, but I also, <laughs> I also do astrocardiology so that people can pinpoint where their spirit is supposed to be versus just trying to throw a, a dart and hit a place because we all have a place that we would thrive in. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> that's good, that's good, that's good. Okay, so we're gonna start off the basic question. What made you want to go to Korea? South Korea, I should say, at the, in 2010, when you got there, what 
like something um, had to wake up and say okay this is it you know well a lot of things so i went to korea in 2009 and okay. um in 2007 i was doing the corporate thing i was a regional marketing coordinator and director for a dental management company and traveling all through the united states setting up dental clinics for children and um i got laid off and so this was right at the beginning of the recession and so i got laid off and um i was living in north carolina at the time and just i i knew that i was supposed to be coaching in some aspect i just didn't know how or or like when it was gonna pop off. And I started going through a coaching certification program and I got certified as a life coach and as an emotional intelligence coach. And, but it's still, I felt like I'm still missing something. I sat on my couch and literally I said these words, I wanna see the world. I was like, I'm tired. I took this big, like deep breath and let it all out and literally went to sleep woke up checked my email this is like six hours later i checked my email um and because i was unemployed at the time and looking for jobs i had a recruiter contact me and say hey i saw your resume i think you would be a perfect fit to come teach in korea and i was like who does this and i did corporate i didn't do anything with children do anything with teaching at schools however i started my career off as in education when i was an undergrad and so I had taught for two years. Um, I taught kindergarten and third grade. I hated it. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this. But I looked at the program and I was like, that's interesting. I literally deleted it because I was like, who does this? Who gets up and goes to some foreign country? I knew nothing about Korea other than MASH because I used to watch MASH as a child. That dates me. But um, <laughs> so I used to watch <laughs> watch MASH. So that's, that's the extent of what I knew about Korea. I also knew that they had hosted the Olympics at one point. That's pretty much it. So I deleted it and I was like, that's weird. And the next day, my girlfriend contacted me. She was like, sit down. I'm about to go to Japan and you're the only person I know crazy enough to go with me. I was like, what am I going to do in Japan? She's like, you're going to teach. And I was like, I don't teach. That's not what I do. I'm not doing this. And so she was like, come on, just look at the program. She sent me the information. I looked at the program and I was like, whatever. What else am I doing? You know, okay, I'll go to Japan. And so I literally applied for the, the program. They did an interview with me the following day. And after I got done with the interview, they accepted me into the program and they said, listen, I know you applied to go to Japan, but we don't have any more positions. Only positions we have left are in Korea. Would you be willing to go to Korea? And I was like, and I believe in synchronicity. So I was like, okay, this obviously is a spiritual connection. Somebody is trying to send me to Korea for some reason. Let's go. And literally in a month, I was getting on a plane going to South Korea. And wow. And how was your experience there? What did you like just landing you? This is your first foreign country, Korean, uh, say Asian country, right? Yes. So I had been to 40 at that time, like 46 of the 50 states. I've been to Puerto Rico, um, but I had never been outside of the country. So, okay. yes, my first plane, I get on a 24-hour trip, I get on a plane, go to uh, San Francisco, then head out to South Korea, 
and land in this foreign country after watching Taken the night before. <laughs> oh, little complex, but oh my gosh. <laughs> so how did you prepare? That is the thing. How did you prepare yourself? Because you've gotten the job, um, you know you're gonna go, you got your date, and I know it's not like the next day. So you have right. preparation. It so took about you- took about a month and a half. I had to do uh, another interview for the actual position for the school. Um, I had to go to Atlanta to get my um, to go to my interview for the consulate um, so I could get a visa, and then they shipped my stuff back twenty four hours later. So it took about. Um, three to four weeks after I had initially got accepted into the program. And that gave me an opportunity to pack all my stuff in Charlotte, put it all in storage. And at that time I thought, okay, I'll do a year. And I literally just bought, I just moved to Charlotte, had just bought all new furniture, just like sold my house the year prior. And so it was like, here I am about to pack everything up. And I just was like, I'm gonna do a year. It turned into three and a half years, but I um, moved, I went back to Nashville, which is where I lived prior to uh, going to Charlotte. And I just started putting everything in order. I had to get some paperwork done, you know, like cut off a lot of stuff and just put things in order. And then Mm -hmm. I had to get all my stuff condensed down. And at that time you could take four bags free <laughs> now right. you get like two bags so I got all my life into four bags um and just just started downsizing things but then mentally preparing okay if I'm gonna do this for a year this is the, these are the things that I'm gonna need I started doing a lot of research um at that time there wasn't so there weren't any black travel sites there weren't any other examples of this people had just started really doing this. And so there were some people who had just got to Korea previously. Um, I started looking at their YouTube. Um, I started YouTubing um, what houses look like in Korea. I started YouTubing um, like how to speak the language. I started preparing myself. I bought a couple books because um, I was at least going to be able to say hello, goodbye, thank you. And where's the bathroom? <laughs> So I needed to know those basic things. I started to look at the alphabet and I I was like, this is a lot, but once I get there, I'll learn more. Um, But I I wanted to have the basis. And then um, what else did I do? I just kind of like, I didn't have really a whole lot of expectations because I was like, I'm gonna be down for the journey. And I got ready. Okay, you got ready. And then you get there and you see everything, you meet your team or your, you know, from understanding you have a teammate or that you come in as a cluster. Uh, Sometimes teachers come in as a cluster. I don't know if that was for you. Um, No, so for, for me, it wasn't like that at all. So I got recruited from a recruiter and then they sent me, they sent me a packet of like expectations and things. And they did give me a mentor. I never really talked to the mentor. Um, and so I got to Korea, a guy picked me up, he took me to the school, the head of school, 
dropped me off in my apartment. I was quarantined. Then nobody told me I was being quarantined. I was quarantined for like a week, sat in this apartment, like with no anything. They gave me like some brand new pans and utensils and some cereal, some milk, like some basic stuff, like so I could actually eat. And then they left me in this apartment. And then I had internet in the apartment, but they didn't know. <laughs> so I'm stuck in this apartment. They gave me the keys, but I, I just kind of, I could hear like Koreans talking downstairs because uh, it was above like a restaurant or something. Mm-hmm. And I got on Facebook and was like, hey, and this is like, Facebook had only been in existence for a couple of years, right? after the college phase of Facebook and right. so I was connecting with all my people on Facebook hey I'm in Korea blah 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 and so that kind of entertained me then I started getting bored and I tried to go outside and I set up an alarm it was the funniest thing but nobody came like the alarm was going off for an hour nobody came and then I went <laughs> on Facebook and called or I think I called because I had internet I called on Google Google phone <coughs> And called the school and was like, yo, I can't turn this alarm off. I'm struggling over here. And then they sent somebody from the school. And then that person took me to the grocery store, showed me around the neighborhood. Um, But it was interesting (laughs) because it was like really weird. And I was in isolation. So all I had time to do was like sit, think and write, Mm -hmm. which was kind of cool. Okay. Say that that's different experience. So, and that's what I like. That's why it's good to know, but also to see this because everybody's experience is different, you know, Mm -hmm. especially um, for some people to be a teacher, they go to the TSL, what TSLE certification class or the, it's, it's so many different names for teaching English that they have, but back in the day, it wasn't that many. It really literally not that many, like you see, it's like, oh, when I went to Thailand, um, they have it actually on the island where you can take the class. Well, on Koh Samui, they had it on Koh Samui where you can take the class to actually teach once you get there. And that is, it's some money, but it's through them. You know, it's not through any particular uh, sector from America. So, and I know they do a cluster, like it's like 14 or 15 in a class. So for, that's why I'm wondering, like for people to get understanding, you can also do it online, you know, do leap of faith. As my friend said, I always do things on leap and faith <laughs> and, and been blessed for that. Um, so you get there, you, you're teaching, did your outlook on children change once you've been teaching them for three years well so okay I taught kindergarten for the first year and I was just like this is not for me I I've literally been in corporate since I was like 19 years old so it was like this is not for me um I had I was the first person in the AmeriCorps program which is like a volunteer program that Clinton started back in a long time ago (laughs) And so I actually taught through that because I was an education major. Um, but I knew then after teaching kindergarten at that time, I was like 18 or 19 years old. I was like, I, I'm not doing this because number one, I was emotionally attached to the kids that really had issues like learning disabilities. Um, I wanted to take them home with me. I had a little girl who mother was on crack and I just, like, I felt 
I'm I'm an empath. I felt really connected to her, and I really wanted right. to like steal her. And I was like, uh, I can't be stealing children <laughs> because I'm gonna go to jail, and it's, it's not cool. But I wanted to give her a better life because I was like, she has nobody there supporting her. And then the teachers were like, they had given up hope on her, and all I saw was myself in, in this little girl. And so I knew teaching was not for me because I wasn't emotionally stable for that. But here I found myself in Korea teaching kindergarten. And I used to pray every day. I was like, who, why did you do this to me? <laughs> you know, but then it, there were very good moments. It was fun moments. Um, I had, by the end of the time of me teaching for a year, um, I had a student named Kara who she cried. She was like, no teacher, you can't leave. When I came back to Korea for the second time, um, after leaving for like three or four months, and I came back to visit and then take on my second job. She had told the other teacher, uh, you can go now. Shy teacher is coming back. <laughs> so it was, you know, those moments of clarity and understanding of why I had did what I did gave me connection and made everything make sense. Um, but I knew I, I, I didn't feel compelled to be like, oh, let's teach forever and no, I didn't want to do all that and I knew that I probably would be more beneficial as a university professor which is what my second job was for a year and a half and I loved my job my students it was a little bit more connectivity because I was already in my 30s um at that time and so even though I was much older than them I felt more connected than I did with the little kids because the right. little kids, they like, they need all the attention. They want to be all on you. They got snotty noses. And I'd be like, get away from me. But <laughs> it was fun. You know, you got to play all day. Um, but then I used to sit back and be like, what has my life become? Because I went from way up here to down here. And then I had to readjust that because I started to find out things like on my walk to school. Um, so I write poetry. So I will write poems. Like I started kicking out poems every day, like four or five poems a day. When I left my first year, I probably had over 2000 poems I had wrote because I was just like, I would see everything. I saw things differently. The children brought things to my attention. By the time I got to the university, I wouldn't write no more poems. <laughs> and the adjustment was a little bit different. I could actually communicate with my students. They wanted to go out. They was like, come go to the club with me. I'm like, oh, I can't go to the club with you. But the the uh, dichotomy was different with them. And that experience was totally different. I appreciate both of the experiences because they both brought something to me and I got something out of it. And then I also saw the impact of both situations on my life and on theirs so um and then I got to impact more lives as a university teacher because I taught about 15 classes a semester and so it was easier to actually have 30 40 students that you're talking to each day and they were much older so you could actually have like real in-depth conversations sometimes <laughs> sometimes they were like I don't want to hear none of that so yeah, I, I, think, like a I think that kind of gave me a different outlook. Okay, that's cool. So now we fast forward. 
and you've packed your stuff and you're going back and you've been there. So what is your next move? Do you settle down in America? Uh, did you come back with a new outlook? Like, okay. Well, so <laughs> my life is not that simple. Um, <laughs> so through <laughs> that process, I was still life coaching. I had become a um, competent communicator through Toastmasters. I started doing motivational speaking on the basis in Korea and I was living my true purpose. And then I came back to the United States on vacation. I was in a head-on collision the day before I was supposed to go back to Korea, changed the whole trajectory of my life. And then I decided, okay, if I were to go back to Korea, I would want my life to look differently. So what do I need to do next? And so I was hurt and in pain and nothing was happening. And so I decided I would apply to grad school. I went to go see some schools and I, I was very specific. I wanted a, a program that really met my needs. Um, I knew it had to be international. I knew it had to have something to do with culture and, but I needed it to be hands-on. And so I had went to Massachusetts and went to Brandeis and they had a great sustainable development program, but I was like, I don't want to do anything in sustainable development. And then I found an international education program that also had a built-in program that allowed me to design my own program. And I did intercultural um, leadership and management. And so it was a great fit. And then it also let me continue to work on expat women of color. It also allowed me to get my nonprofit status. And um, I still had the opportunity to do intercultural work. And I had an opportunity to go back to Korea. And the guy I was dating at the time was the head of HR for a global company. And um, they did intercultural training. And so I got to see it firsthand. And then I started talking to him about re uh, repatriation because I went through it. And I started seeing that there were different things that I needed to connect to in the States. And I then became a consultant and started doing intercultural training for Fortune 500 companies that were sending people abroad. And it just kept building and expanding from there. And so for the last, I guess, six or seven years, that's what I've been doing. Um, and I've gotten to help a lot of families who were going abroad for Boeing, FedEx, um, some, some uh, industrial companies. And um, then life happened. And then I got pregnant, had a child. And I just, I was like, I don't want to live in America and raise my son in this environment and then have the opportunity to go to Mexico. Okay. And how are you adjusting to Mexico, like and liking it versus the states? Um, it's not. It's, it hasn't been a real major adjustment because I think I think culturally and I think interculturally, and so I'm always trying to put myself in the other person's shoes. Like I don't speak Spanish. I know very poquito, right? So I can. How are you know? So there's oh like things that, it, but I try, right? Right. And so I understand that there's a cultural difference. I understand that culturally, their culture 
is a very high context culture and, and they're infused in their families and they're thinking from a family oriented place. Mm -hmm. So I think that makes it easier for me. And then I also think just having, I have people here that I met in Korea on my way to Korea while I was in Korea who also live here, who also have families. Um, so that makes it a little bit easier. And then I've met people because I'm, I'm really about building my tribe. I don't, don't want to be connected to the people that I'm with in many different aspects. So I have people who don't have children, but spiritually we're more connected and aligned. Then I have people who have children and our children can connect and grow together. And then I have people who I can do business with and they are coming from a different um, perspective as far as culturally, as far as... Um, just the travel experience and they have lived in multiple places. But one thing I've noticed about being here in Merida, number one, this is very family oriented. So the people who have come here have families because it's very safe to live. Then um, on different aspects, being in Mexico here, a lot of people are first time travelers, have never left the United States is their first time ever leaving the country. And it's because it's so close and it's so safe. And then if something was to go awry, they could get home quickly, right? And so that's also been very interesting, but that also comes with its own set of issues because if you haven't ever traveled, you never left the United States, this is your first rodeo, then there's a lot of things that you do that you don't know that you're doing. And your perspective is totally different from a person who has traveled or a person who has lived abroad, a person who has been infused in the culture of a different country. So it's quite interesting to see the, the dichotomies that are going on. Okay, so my thing is, uh, do, do you find as an expat in different countries, is it hard to date? Um, that, you know, that's... That's always that's always a topic um, yep. for some reason for women. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm just what's my asking. So the interesting part was like when I first moved to Korea, I was like, I don't care about dating. I got a year journey, right? This is a year thing. I can I can live without dating for a year, right? Mm -hmm. But I got to Korea and. Um, the first guy I met that I started dating um, was much older than I was, um, and I didn't anticipate dating him. It just kind of happened, and he brought a lot of different qualities to my life. Um, but then I then that ended, and it ended at the time that I was getting ready to go back and in my first uh, contract, so it was great. But then he asked me to marry him, and I was like, "Oh no, I cannot marry you." <laughs> Um, and so it was funny because we would have these conversations. I would have like these brunches with women and they were like, well, dating this and dating. And I was like, it's not that difficult because I, I really believe that wherever you are, you attract who you are to you. And so if you just allow it to happen, you know, God knows what your needs are. He'll send what you need to wherever you are. It's not like, okay, I got to sit over here and be like, okay, I need to map out how I'm going to meet these people. I, I can't do all that. 
So if I allow it to happen, it will happen. And it did. And then when that relationship was over, right before I came back to the United States for the first time, I met another person. And then I was like, yeah, but I'm moving back to America, blah, 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 blah. And so he traveled a lot. And so he ends up coming to America while I was there, as I was back for three months. And he was like, well, how do we continue this relationship? Like, um, I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, if it's meant to be, it'll be. Two days later, I got a call saying, hey, I got this position for you. Would you come back to Korea? Like, are you kidding me? And so when I got back to Korea, we started dating and then we dated for a lot of years. Um, and, <laughs> and to this day, we're friends. Um, and then now being here, I, I hear people all this time say, well, I don't know if I can date because there's a lot of single mothers here in Merida. And then there's also a lot of black families. So it's a really interesting uh, situation. And I remember even saying, I don't want to be around a whole bunch of single women with kids. Like, who does that? But I just feel like, you know, whatever your situation is and whatever you desire in life, that the universe will meet you where your desires are and take you where you need to be. And so I don't think about stuff like that, but I, I often find that that's like the major topic. Like how am I, how am I yep. going to date? Well, what am I going to do? Well, first of all, you have to be open to yep. whatever the situation is and allow it to come to you. And it may not come to you in the same color that you accustomed to, the same look Bingo. that you accustomed to. You gotta be open to be like, okay, if I'm in the middle of Iraq, nine times out of 10, it's not gonna be a whole bunch of black men in Iraq. It might be, they might have a contract position. I don't know. But again, just be open and things will start coming to you. And so- that's just how I see it, but yeah, I find it interesting. That's always the topic. <laughs> yeah, because I get that. That's what they were saying, you know, because I dated when I was in Thailand. And that's what they were like, what? How did you date in Thailand? See, now I was in Dosaket, a little, little tiny village. And I mean, a little tiny village. And I just happened to be dating one of the guys that actually worked at a spiritual retreat that I was actually offered to actually come. I didn't know I was going to be, I met a person. He was from Russia. He introduced me to another person. And this is uh, Dow, Dow's Garden, sorry, Dow's Garden. I couldn't get it the other day, Dow's Garden. And I had my little house outside. I didn't want to be on a compound, but if you're a teacher there, you actually can be on a compound. It's metaphysical. So that's up my alley. I'm metaphysical. We, we're teaching. We're doing yoga, we're eating vegan. I mean, all that stuff. Now I'm not vegan, but back then that was like the thing. And I'm a chef. So I happened to meet a particular person and guy was from Russia. His first time he said, oh, we always come to Thailand. I was like, really? You know, I wouldn't think coming from Russia that Thailand would be, um, you know, on your map. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. He migrated with his mom and actually was living there. And I got to meet him and then he took me to Dow Garden and one of the person says, why don't you be a chef here? And I was like, let me think about it. So then they were going on TV. So what wind up happening? I wind up on TV. I don't speak Thai. <laughs> Only they got to say, kum, kum, <laughs> you know, just the basic. And I wind up actually opening my horizon. And I met, like you said, with different people 
uh, the metaphysical group, uh, the Tao Garden group. And I got to interact with different people. Um, I had someone, they were telling me, do Tinder. Was it Tinder? Some kind of app, you do that. You know, and I was like, really? If they're meant to be in my circle, you know, this is my qualifications. They gotta have this, 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 and that. I don't think I'm gonna find that on Tinder. Um, and I don't, excuse me, I don't wanna be somebody's booty call, okay? Right. <laughs> and seeing that in Korea, when I lived in Korea too. So, so I was like, I want them to have the same values as I did. And the guy asked me, he says, well, very, you know, he's an American. He was like, you know, uh, Thai people don't like black people. I said, where did you get that from? That racist kind of thought was like, wow, I've never encountered that. I've been over here for like eight months. I've never had that experience. Maybe it is, maybe it, but I've never had that and that's what I want people to understand you encounter some things if that's what you expect right I basically I can say until I my son was a teenager that I experienced racism I grew up where everybody's multicultural my first boyfriend was um um Korean my best friend was Korean uh you know so my mom coming from biracial parents I didn't have that aspect of this is black, this is that, because I see many different faces in my school. Now I'm going to say I was the only black face. If it was another black face, we were all related because in Roxborough, everybody was related, my cousins or whatever. That's mm -hmm. just how it was. I didn't think, I didn't know no difference. I just knew we're all people. We put our pants on and that was it. It was when I was in Arizona and surprised my son came home and they were telling my son that he was not Hispanic, that he was, he was a nigger. And that mm -hmm. like, and he was devastated. Like he's never had that experience. And I was like, okay, now how do I deal with this? Because I've never had to deal with this. So, and my son has a good heart, but he was defending other children. He does not like people picking on people. My son mm -hmm. has always been a big muscular dude. Just, just how he was born. Uh, more muscle than anything so he would defend them so when he got called that it and then they told him he wasn't Hispanic so he was like but my dad's Puerto Rican you know my abuela I said it doesn't matter you know people have their own expectation baby so I had to explain to him and I had to show him culturally it's different you weren't raised in this kind of environment and they don't know any better so you have to excuse them um, not to say that he didn't have trouble uh, later on. Those kind of kids actually decided because he was defending the underdogs, six of them decided to jump my son. So mm -hmm. that was even it. So then I had to call his father <laughs> who was, went, you know, called on the phone back then. They didn't have like the video like we did. So he called on the phone and was in Spanish, enraged, blah, 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 because this is his first son, first child. So you can imagine and his first time out of the country. So that was taken care of, but I've never had experienced that. And I don't open my mind to that. And I don't think like that. Oh, you gotta be in this, uh, you gotta be in this frame of mind. And my thing is like, the reason I have the women's circle, the door of many colors, because my life has always been many colors. I cannot resonate it, this is what it is. And spirit has put it, I say source has put it where, I don't see color. I see attitude and connections. 
So I've been blessed. So I'm loving that you're encouraging other people not to look at color or keep their mind open because what you expect sometimes is what you send out that frequency. And when you send out that frequency, that's what you pick up. But if you pick, pick out, and mine has always been, I am love. I, I'm, I send love to all. And that's the vibration that I got. I encountered people I would never think that would encounter people of, of different well means or people of all kinds of things is by your attitude. And the fact that you were a life coach that I think played a big part on you being successful too and an impact and embracing it. Um, some impasse, it's so hard for them that they... That's sorry. The people just moved next door <laughs> and they're hanging stuff on the wall. So. That's okay. I was like, being an empath helps too, you know, so I, for, through our journey. So that gives other women encouragement to do what you can do and think in a, a whole different way. And I'm, I'm, I love that, but I do like your group. Um, and I like your magazine or that, no, the blog um, that you had that, like I said, that helped me because before I went to Belize, um, I was just did the Belize thing. And uh, no, not on 15. My daughter's time, she transitioned in 2015 and I came back. So I've lived in Belize, in San Ignacio and, and learned that I'm not of, always known that I'm not a, a city person. And that I found with my children. I didn't let having children stop me. I traveled with both of my children all over the states from the East Coast to the West Coast. We've lived from one down to the up from Florida, you name it, from the East Coast all the way from Philadelphia, from California to Arizona. We've, mm -hmm. we've done that. And even with my son, Mexico, when I decided to go, I just packed my bags and go, okay, you know what? If I had enough of there, that that blog helped me meet another young lady um, to learn about the teaching and what you can do and what you offer. And that also she uh, teaches encouragement of women to actually coach them a course for them to learn to be able to go. And she was also an agency, um, Tawanda. Mm -hmm. Tawanda. Tawanda Beasley. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard from her in a while. Um, so I know, you know, so that's what I'm saying, reaching out to the Facebook group, but also there, there's a lot of expat Facebook, uh, expats in Brazil, expat in Merida, expats in Cancun. Back then you were the only one, you know, now everybody's got a, a cluster and it helps, but knowing someone, and that's what I like that you are connecting people, not only that, but also with jobs. Uh, back in the day that they would be able because it's one thing to go supposing you don't want to be a teacher you know what I mean what else can you do you gave other avenues that I remember that you can look at on the website and the connection even how to go through the visa process that made it easier for me when I went to Korea I got my my uh, my police report I got my FBI or a CIA. I had the FBI report. So when I went, I was good. So when I got there and if I needed to teach, all I had to do is present. I got many opportunities to teach, um, not only in Chiang Mai, but Chiang Rai, uh, which is close to Burma. So, and I got to meet a cluster of other people if that's what I want to do. 
So that's mm-hmm. another thing that I really found outstanding with your group that you gave a lot of different uh, aspects and different viewpoints and different things that people, so it was not just a, oh, well, when you go there, all you're going to do is just be a teacher. Okay, well, maybe, like you said, teacher's not your thing. Uh, maybe you, and, and being blind, there's some women that can't stand <laughs> children, seriously, that they wouldn't eat, they would cut off their right arm not to be with children. And that's okay. You gave another, okay, well, suppose you don't do this, this is what you do. And step by right. step, they weren't doing that back in the day. There was no YouTube videos going step by step. This is how to do it. This is to go to the embassy. This is how long the state. This is where you go to find out where your embassy is. How many people know where the embassy is in their state? A lot of people don't. So right. you might even have to not even go to your state, but another state to go to the embassy. These are things to look at when you're making these decisions um, that gave me perspective to look at like wow I didn't think about it because I'm you know if I don't like something I will pack stuff sell it and be gone that's how I moved for Pennsylvania the first time I was you know just didn't want to be there and was in a major car accident lived everywhere in the east coast from Jersey to New York you named it and I just decided after a car accident I was like you know what I'm done ask my daughter where you want to go she said mom Arizona Okay. Arizona, all states. Now, mind you, my daughter had end-stage renal failure. So I couldn't just, where I was familiar with was Tucson. Because she Mm -hmm. was raised in Tucson and spoke Spanish a little bit. Now she's a whole, she's 12. She don't, you know, Spanish is not customary to her. So it took, okay, this is what you want to do. And this was a promise I made to her. Uh, the thing is that uh, she was actually about to transition um, at that time when she was 12. So I told her, if you stick here with me, we'll go to Arizona. Doctor telling me she's not going to make it. She's not this, that, that. And I said, do you believe in your mama? She was like, she's so wholeheartedly. I said, you want to go to Arizona? She said, yes. Guess what? Within a month, we was in Arizona. Wow. So my thing is, if you say it, you believe it, you want it, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm tired of the United States. I've been saying that since the COVID. I was like, okay, should I go back to Mexico and make it work where I have, I have a grown child and that's, I shouldn't say grown child. I have a grown man. That is my, my, my baby. Well, I don't know how to do it. My youngest. <laughs> He's not a baby. But the thing is, we're, we're all we have. So that kind of mm-hmm. makes it hard. Well, how do you travel with that? And I just told him, you know what? This I'm leaving this apartment to you. And I'm done. And he was like, what? I was like, you, you got you got to get a roommate, do whatever you got to do. I'm done. And he said, okay. So I said, you know what? I want to go back overseas. And I was like, I think I'm going to pick out a couple countries. One was Colombia. I have a girlfriend in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Two times, one time, a man asked me, he said, I want you to come to Colombia with the Bogota. And I was like, nah, I'm not ready. And he said, yeah, come to Bogota. You can teach, you can da-da-da-da-da, you can have fun. That was last year. And I said, no. Then I met my friend in April. Where is she from? Bogota, Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> 
I said, okay. Well, let me think about that. Did my interview, we're, we're good friends. And I said, well, maybe I'll put Colombia there. Colombia's right there. So then, but Mexico's always been there. I know people in Mexico. And then I met another friend. She's in Quantaroo, Quantaroo, Mexico. And she's a lawyer. So I was like, well, let's see what, if it's meant to be spirit to lead me. So then I had my friend that was in Belize. And then I did the interview with her. And I was like, Spirit, if it's supposed to be, you'll make the doors. It, it's going to be easy this time. I'm not going to have to like do this. The same day I asked her, the same day the landlord said, oh, I know her. Why not? She could come. And I was like, okay. I asked this. I said it. And this is what's going to be. All right. Mm -hmm. So now look where I'm going. This is where I'm heading. So that's why I want you to be women to be open. Not only women, but men to be open to when opportunity gives you, you know, I didn't go the first time. If it's meant for you to go or be there, they will make it, they can make it very easy. All the doors are open. Right. Is for me is home. Where am I going to lay my head is home. For me to live in um, Carmen de Playas when I was there, a friend had a landlord that told me to come on and come uh in july and that's how i wind up and i rented the place um and for me which i liked the rent was only 250 dollars okay um it didn't have any furniture um didn't have no plates it had a, a stove and a refrigerator i'm good with that i'm good at making things so also your expectations that's what we need to realize when we're traveling what we think a furnished apartment is or a furnished studio or furnished uh, flat, we need to look at what it really is and find out what furnished means in each country. That's some mm -hmm. other things to look at. Um, also to find out how can you survive? Um, what are some ways to survive? Like I remember you were uh, talking about digital, um, digital nomads. Back then, mm -hmm. nobody knew what a digital nomad is. And they're mm -hmm. like, huh? Um, right. These are things that I remember about your group that stood out because they still don't really talk about it that much. It's talked about, but people don't know what extent what a digital ma uh, nomad is. Um, how to work online remotely. Um, some people have been doing that since the 90s, since the computer and all that other stuff that wasn't really done like it is doing now. This is just mm -hmm. taken off. Uh, so it makes sense to think about that, to take your job if you're not happy with and go remotely and work. You, you definitely might be able to work in another country, um, all depends. Because a lot of countries don't want deadbeats. We Americans don't right. want deadbeats, but sometimes it's, not feasible to live in your own country because you can't afford so right this is giving you i feel being an expat some ways to make an income in another country and sometimes um canada if you pass a tra um a test they will take you in because you have a certain college degree or a certain uh occupation that they're looking for that they want and then you can go in there and there's different programs like even was it in um, Aust Australia? No, New Zealand. They have a wings program. 
you know, this program I looked at when my daughter was a kid, how to go in there. And these are foreign women that get together and they help you start your life over as a foreigner. And they give you the support to start it over if you're coming there in their country. I don't know any other country that does that will take foreigners straight in and help them actually fit in the country uh, without expectation. It is expectation you're going to give back to the community, but they right. give support. So my question to you is, how would you tell people to figure out where they want to be in different countries to be an expat? What are some things you would suggest for them to do? So, well, you know, spiritually, I think you should look at who you are as a person, look at your astrology and see what best fits. And it just depends on what you're trying to look. Are you looking for a relationship? Are you looking for money? Are you looking for uh, the best lifestyle, quality lifestyle? Um, you can find that out using your birth chart. Um, but if that's not your thing and you just, you want to throw darts and you just want to figure out a place, like what makes sense for you, um, you, you really need to be honest with yourself. Like, who are you? What do you want? Where do you want to go? Do you like, I'm not going to a country and living like a pope. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm 45 years old. I did some things I've done in life. I don't want to do again. <laughs> There's things that I want to have in my life are things I'm accustomed to. So you have to look at quality of lifestyle and what kind of life do you want to live? Some people are good with, you know, putting their stuff in a backpack and going, that's good. Okay. There are places for you. Some right. people want to live in a hostile, um, some people, a hostel, some people want to, to, you know, live or can travel and be in, um, a Airbnb. Some people want, you know, holiday Inn. some people want the Ritz Carlton. What do you want? What's the end objective? And I always look at everything from the end. So at the end of the day, what do I want? Because once I know what I want, I can backtrack and get the steps to get there. Um, so I think it's important about lifestyle. How much are you willing to pay? Um, how do you want to live? What do you want to experience? Um, so if you're going somewhere and you want to have a cultural experience, there's things that you need to be willing to do. Um, for instance, like even living in Korea and living here in Mexico, one of the things you have to do because the plumbing system is like throw away your um, toilet paper. Some people ain't with that. Like I remember the first time I went to Korea and people, you had to do that. I was like, that's kind of nasty. Um, but out of respect for their country, I did what was the expectation. But it's kind of like you could live in certain places and you didn't really have to do that. Living in Mexico, you, you have to do that. If you live within, uh, like here, you live within a certain area, you do need to do that outside that area where it's newer plumbing, you don't have to really do that. Um, but are you willing to, to go with the rules and regulations of that particular country? So I think when you are planning or you never traveled or lived abroad, then the things that you should just really think about, who are you as a person? What's your expectations for your life and the lifestyle that you want to live? Um, I here and sorry. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but like, I, so I live in a brand new townhouse. 
when I moved here, it's five units. No one else had lived here. It was brand new. Matter of fact, they they weren't even finished building when I actually set up my lease. Um, and so in the last three weeks, people have moved in. Um, so I lived here like a month and a half without any neighbors in this little gated community. But there were some things I wanted. In my mind, I was like, I want a rooftop terrace. Why do I need a rooftop terrace? I don't know. I just, in my head, I was like, I just want this rooftop terrace and I'm going to pimp it out to be what I wanted. I have a rooftop terrace. I have two bedrooms, two baths, two full baths, two half baths, so four bathrooms. Um, <laughs> I have like a, a rooftop terrace. I have an outside deck, um, open floor concepts. Nice, what would cost me, you know, I lived in DC. This would easily cost me almost $3,000 a month. Um, so I pay less than $700 a month. <laughs> That's okay. It, I it got no neighbors <laughs> who right. are drilling. Um, but yeah, so I can have the lifestyle that I'm accustomed to have. And I live in luxury in outside of DC. I'm not going to go to a foreign country and live less than the desires of my heart. And you can do that, but you have a plan. You have to put that in perspective. Like, where am I going to go? And I'm also, I have a son who is one years old. I'm not about to put him in a situation where he can't thrive. And so I have to think about his safety. I have to think about the resources. So I have a nanny. I have a housekeeper. I have both things. And I live way less. I live I live like half of what I was paying for rent <laughs> in a month. And so right. I'm not even thinking about the other things I have to cover that I had to cover in outside of DC. So it's if you're planning and preparing to live outside the country, um you just you just have to have a perspective of what you want and desire and then think from the end and go back. I always tell people think from the end. Um, but I think a lot of times people have really high expectations, have done no research, don't know where they're going. They get to a place and they like, this ain't what I expected. What, what did you expect? How did you have expectations off of something you didn't research? Like I've met a couple people who just moved to Mexico. They just, they had never came here. Like never saw it. I, I never had went to Korea, but I went and it, like, I knew what houses looked like. I knew, like, I had really did virtual tours in my head and through the resources I had. And there was limited resources at that time. But even here, I came here first because I knew I was bringing a child. I wasn't just about to get on a plane and come here and be like, me and my child, this is the first time I'm seeing this place. I wasn't going to do that. Um, so... Yeah, I just think people need to have realistic expectations, but also really know yourself, know what you're willing to give up, know what you're willing to get. Um, don't be running from something because you'll run into something. Be understanding of where you are in your life, where you want to go, because sometimes you may be at a certain place, but your expectation or your desire is to get to another place. Well, there's some growth that needs to happen between that time. And so you need to be willing to give up some things to get to the next thing. And sometimes the road ain't always paved. <laughs> it's a little rocky. And so are you willing to go through those experiences so that you can grow to get to that next level? 
all of that needs to be in perspective. And then, and even when you have all that planned out and willing to, to make the move, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be because now you got to give way to the journey. And the journey is way different if you expect to get to a destination. It's way different than what your, your thoughts are because things have to happen that you don't even anticipate. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes ugly. But what are you willing to do to get to the next level? What are you willing to do to have an experience? And you can't control all aspects, but it's not for the faint of heart. If you want everything to be Americanized, it's not gonna be Americanized. You can get some American amenities in a new place, um, but sometimes you have to be willing to give up certain things or pay more. Like there are people who I saw on this uh, Facebook group for Merida who was like, oh, I was expecting to come to uh, Mexico and pay $200. Okay, but you get what you pay for. So you thought you was going to have Rich Carlson for, for $200 a month? You're not getting Rich Carlson. You're going to get Mexico. <laughs> You're going to get the Mexico you see on TV. You're not going to get high-end of Mexico. You're not getting that. Now you pay $600, 700 you might get that. Now you paying less than you was paying in America, but at the same time, the quality of your life is going to be enhanced. Now right. don't come here thinking you're going to be on a shoestring budget. You're going to get shoestring amenities. And again, everything is not for everybody. I have a girlfriend who lives in Central, which is the, the city center. And it's more eclectic. You have more art. You have more of the Hacienda style. Um, things are going to be older. You're not going to get the modern amenities. But that's for her. She's from New York. She wants the eclectic. She wants the experience. I don't want the experience. I want things. <laughs> I, I can go see the experience and come home. Right. I, want, I want water pressure. I want when I go to take a shower, it's hot. <laughs> and I want a good hot water heater. I don't want my hot water to run out. I don't want my water pressure to be all messed up. So I live a certain way so I can get those things. And you can too have those things. You don't have to go to some foreign country and live like, you know, out of a, a backpack if that's not what your desires are. And I think sometimes people think, well, I have to go get that because I got to, you know, downsize everything. There is, there's something for everybody. If you are accustomed to living in an affluent life in the United States, you can have that same affluent life at a lower budget in a different country. Right. But you got to pick accordingly. And then you have to know what your needs and wants are. And you also have to be um, aware culturally, like, does it require that you learn the language? Some, some countries... Like, I, you know, you can go to France, you go in France if you want to and just start speaking English as if and not try. <laughs> you, you're going to get, <laughs> I've been to 25 countries and you need to try. Like, you can't come with this, I'm American, you need to meet me at my knees. No, nobody needs to meet you nowhere. You outside of your comfort zone, then you in their place of, of residence. They don't have to do anything. It's like you come in my house saying, I got to do what you said, do. This, we, buy, we go by my rules in this house. Now, if you want to be at my house, then you need to go by my rules. If not, you need to leave. Same thing when you're traveling. Same thing when you go live somewhere. 
be willing to be open to the experience because that's what makes living abroad the best because there are days where it's very tough and you frustrated you're trying to have a conversation the conversation's not going well i even for example last week i was trying to talk to my uh house cleaner it wasn't working out and i'm like using google and I thought we had came to some arrangement. I go downstairs and she's just standing there. And I'm like, why are you standing here? You need to be making some moves. <laughs> it's like, oh, I thought, you know, and I had to translate it again. And so the expectation wasn't there. And then we had to come to some other terms and finally we get it right. But that can be difficult and frustrating. And you'll have those moments and you will not be without those moments. But then you'll have moments where everything goes smoothly and everything is wonderful and you're on the same page as the person you're talking to. Um, but it's really about how willing you are to be open to the experience and how willing you are to know yourself or you don't even have to know yourself. You can get to know yourself because okay. you're always evolving. So the same person that you are when you leave a country is not the same person you'll return to, to return right. back to that country. And that's that repatriation thing. It's difficult to go home. It's difficult to go back because you've changed. Your mm -hmm. mindset's changed. The people who are there, they change because everybody is moving. They're moving at their own frequency. And so you go home and they on some different, you on some different, you thinking they stupid, they thinking you stupid. Everybody's like, <laughs> why are we doing this? Because you're changing and it's okay. But be willing to understand that the journey is going to be that, a journey. And you have to just be open to it. See that, but that's that's wonderfully said. But it is true. I mean, I've experienced that. I went to traveled around, like I said, for three years. You know, it took uh, my daughter transitioning, me having the courage. I talked to the person I was going to go to Thailand. You know, for I talked to her. She told me, you know, I said, what do I need to do to get there? And her thing is, she's like, sell everything, sell everything. After you sell everything, buy your ticket. Um, you'll come and stay. And she didn't tell me it was a farm and where their farm is, where there's no walls. You got to go through, you know, electric, you know, didn't explain all of that. But that was not the first place I went. You know, I went to my friends in Kosamui. Kosamui is more for me, but I wanted to work. So I, I can very much understand that. But it took for me to travel to Shanghai with and learn and what it is and realize I'm not really a city person. And it took there. Now I've been different places and I looked at from living different places through the United States. What am I most attracted to? What do I always come back to? I always go somewhere that's in the mountains or I always go somewhere where there's water. So when I moved from Arizona, I moved from Florida, Arizona, just coming back from states, Florida, no, Hawaii, Florida, the Arizona and was not liking it was making pretty much good money um, doing my spiritual thing, but I didn't feel I was being appreciated. And the thing is that I'm that type of person. If you think I'm, you're my only outlet, you'll find out I'm gonna show you you're not. Just like I came here, I came through the door, I can walk right back out that door with everything packed and I can give you 24 hour notice. Matter of fact, I might be even nice and give you 15 day notice, I'm done. 
It all depends on how, where I'm at in my life. Um, some of us have a longer tolerance, but I learned after going overseas, my tolerance of people using my talents to benefit them and not compensate me is it's a no is a deal breaker. I, that was one of the things when my daughter transitioned. She said, "Mom, when um, this is because when I before I went to Belize, she said, "Mom, I want you to no longer allow people to use you. Use your kindness like they do. I want you to benefit you for you and love you as much as you love me and my brother. I want you to love, protect you like you protect me and my brother. That's what I want you to do for me." not realizing these were significant words that she knew she was transitioning um, before. And because of that, I've made a promise. I don't let people do that. And that's why my tolerance is like, and also living overseas, you know, I had to encounter that to realize, wait a minute, this is what she's talking about. And I made a promise to her and I honored that pro um, promise. And it made me different. It's like, well, I don't want people to be disappointed. I don't want to hurt people. So that's about, mm -hmm. like you said, learning yourself. But then I think about, well, when people hurt you, are they mm -hmm. thinking about your feelings? And when they constantly do it, <laughs> you know, you have set, you let them know you don't have no boundaries. Just right. because you're nice does not mean you have to let people continue to walk. Now you give them a warning. This is, this is my boundaries, blah, 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 blah. So she basically made me grow up even more because my daughter used to be my, my, my shield because I am that person like, oh, everything is so rosy and bright. And, and I just seen it like that. And she would be like, no, you can't, you can't have, if you don't have no pay, you can't talk to my mom. <laughs> if right. you want my mom to cook, you can't talk to my mom. She would be the blockage. And then I realized she did a blockage for a lot of people. She would, I would never see all the people that would come and they were like, well, I try to call you and your daughter would, or your business manager. Well, she had a business degree. She was my business manager. She wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't give you the message. And I was like, and she was like, well, mom, they didn't have any money. And I was like, well, I can work something out. She says, mom, she said, you see that purse they got? And I was like, yes. She was like, they wanted that purse. They got it, right? She was like, right. If they want your services, they'll pay for it. And I was right. like, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a healer. <laughs> that would be my excuse. And then I learned just because it's something that you're good at, don't lower your expectations. And I grew. I grew all from those experiences. Now I know what I want. I got to Arizona. I didn't like it. Gave her notice. I said, we're leaving in 14 days. I'm out of here. I stopped working at the store, the whole nine yards to show her, look, I can show you what I can do. I don't need your store. I don't need this. Went home, packed my stuff, had it in my car, called my friend. I was in Mexico and I drove from Arizona to Mexico and wind up in uh -huh. Tijuana. And my friend was like, well, where are you? Mexico. <laughs> what? I thought you was Arizona. No, Mexico looked nice. And I quite, you know, just you know, from my friend, I hadn't visited uh, Tijuana, never been there. Um, and I asked my friend was there and had been living there for like four, four or five years. And she had this guy had a, a a house that was right off the beach. You can go down the steps into the beach, and I loved it. And then he had little houses under it. 
So for me, I didn't know what I was getting, but I got to stay before I moved into my place. I stayed with a friend of mine for about, we stayed about two weeks in their place, uh, sleeping on a couch and stuff like that. And seeing the beach and seeing that Monday was the farm day, which I love going up the street and they got all these vendors on the street. And for me, that was beautiful. But every day mm -hmm. I could be on the beach going down. And right. it arrested me because I'm walking where before, you know, I use get in my car and drive. Well, I drive my car when I want to, to go back to the States and I could go back to the States back and forth where it was no problem. I just knew it was going to be a journey. So it's about planning. So that way I grew up and realized, okay, well, we got stuck here. That's then that's the best way to say it. We got stuck here in, in the San Diego area. And then I realized after being here and I was like, I really don't like it. And it was like, okay, the way they, the food, the, the attitude, the, I feel more, um, closed in mm -hmm. I don't feel the freedom that I felt when I was in Mexico especially with the food and made a lot of good friends where my friend actually made sausage and they were selling at the market and it's like there they had a little store but also he would make sausages from scratch stuff that I grew up with so for me that's what I like I don't need the big stores I need something like that because that's what I grew up with. My Nona, uh, the milkman coming and dropping off the milk and getting eggs and stuff like that. And knowing where my food came from made it important. So living in there, that brought that back. This is what I'm comfortable with. Living here, mm -hmm. let me know. No, I'm not really apartment kind of person. Well, I got a townhouse. It's nice. We got a townhouse. Uh, the only thing is I, I picked up two dogs. One matter of fact, my little Chihuahua, she's from New Mexico. I brought her across the border <laughs> from New Mexico here, but she okay. was born in New Mexico. So for my Christmas gift, my son got me an American uh, Rockshaw Terrier. Uh, that okay. was my Christmas gift. So now I not only have one, but I have two dogs. So I'm like, well, one dog we're turning to be a service dog, okay? Um, and that's the Rockstar Terry because he's, he's not tiny, he's big. So that is another thing for people. If you're looking to travel and you want to go, that is something, uh, some people, some places actually quarantine the dog. I know to come to Hawaii, they always, they quarantine animals, period, and they got to stay. Um, and you have to pay for them to eat and to pay for them to stay. But now um, they changed the rules because so many people being quarantined. They were taking the animals and quarantining them with uh, the, the family. So for me, that's a little bit more pliable if they're quarantining them with you and you're living and you're taking, that's because of, you know, they don't want a, a big population. Um, so I understand that. So that's something that people, I would say, if you're traveling with an animal, you need to look at or rehome your dog uh, that you feel or your cat or whatever your animal is rehome them before because you don't know the regulations right. of what it might be and that's something that you can look at so um um and i like the fact that you talked about visiting the country before um you brought your baby down there and that's something to look at and the fact that the lifestyle that's something people need to look at because a lot of people figure they want to be a backpack 
And you can backpack across the world if that's what you want. If that's your lifestyle, that's what you choose to do. Matter of fact, you can live out your car if that's what you want to do in America. You know, because some people, that's all they want. They got their bed and there is what is called the van life. Doing the van life. You know, you don't have a home. You just have a post office box and you just live and you have the cell phone and, you know, and that, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But each lifestyle brings a different way of life. And right. we're, we're grateful for that. And I like the fact, because I was just saying in um, another segment that we as Americans, uh, a lot of countries consider us very arrogant because first of all, we don't wanna learn the language. Uh, number two, we come in very arrogant. And that's what I experienced in Thailand when the guy said, you can't be from America. And I was like, why? You know, like, I, I think I have an American accent. And he was like, your viewpoint, you don't have a narrow point of view. Well, how can I have a narrow point of view? I come from biracial parents. I come from different cultures. I was raised with different cultures in my society. So I feel like I am universal. So I've never looked at like that, like we look at things. But I've experienced where people just think that we are very arrogant. In Korea, in Thailand, um, and even in Malaysia, that, that that's what came out they think we're very arrogant because we don't try to learn the language we don't mm -hmm. try to fit in we don't respect their culture um my friend said that in uh, Saudi Arabia she said that's a thing there too and I was like well explain that to me how does you know why do they they feel that is the point and she said because we we don't take time to get to know we don't take time to get to know the other country. Sorry about that. My baby think that it's his time and it's not. <laughs> like, she right here. Why can't you pet me? Um, so that is good things. Um, now, because of COVID, how is that in Meredith? What are they doing? Are they allowing people to come in the country that you know about at this present time? Yeah, you can still come in the country. Um, they're very strict about certain things, but there's a curfew right now in place at, I think, 11 o'clock at night um, till five in the morning. And then you have to have your mask on when you go into any place of business, you have to get temperature and uh, sanitation, you know, got to put the gel on your hands. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're pretty strict about certain things. There's certain things that are still closed. Um, okay. But yeah, you can still come in the country. And then, you know, when you leave, you do still have to take the test, especially if you're going back to America. Wow. Okay. Okay. That's okay. So you take the test there or um, do they do the nose thing? Because I know back in the day at certain places, my friend said that they were taking, it was doing a swab up the nose before you leave and you had to be quarantined and they had an app. And then my friend in Korea, she went back to Korea and she said that they had to do the same thing. They came from America to Korea, but um, her kids were born in Korea. She has a Korean husband they had to go through the process of actually staying in a place for a couple of days. And they also had to go back and get the test. 
Yeah, no, there's no quarantine. When you get here, you're pretty, you're good. Um, you don't have to take the test unless you're leaving to go back to the States and that's for the States. Um, but to get here, um, no, it's, it's pretty lax in that respect of getting here. You know, y'all need a test to get here. Um, it's just, they take all the precautions once you're here and, but you mm -hmm. don't have to be quarantined first. Okay. All right. And that's helpful looking at that. And how are their markets there? Tell me about some of the markets that you see there. Are they able to have vendors out um, or stores open until like maybe um, six o'clock or whatever? You know, um, I know the grocery stores are normally open till like nine, 10 oh. o'clock. Um, no, they have Walmart, they have some other grocery stores. They do have markets closer to the inner city. Um, I, I live in what they consider north. Um, okay. So it's very similar to living in America. In okay. I live probably, I have four different, on each area, each direction, north, south, east, west, I have like a grocery store that's probably five minutes away from me. Um, okay. So very easy to get you know produce um most places are like super walmart so you have super walmart you have uh, um some local grocery stores um you have costco you have sam so wow you have like a lot of different options so i live in like a tiny america <laughs> okay okay so, but, but, all right yeah almost like tj coming to plus they had that too so Okay, so that's just give you guys some insight. So hmm, we talked about how to prepare, what you can do, and how would you suggest people to acclimate once they get there? What are some suggestions that you would have for people once they get there, how to acclimate to the area that would do some things? Um, I think you need to be open to culture and getting to know and understand the culture that you're living in um you need to be willing to learn the language you, you don't necessarily have to be fluent in the language but it's definitely easier to communicate it's easier to get around when you know the language and and you're willing to you know adapt to the culture um i think it's also imperative that you just know the lay of the land and like what things you should be able to do legally, what you shouldn't be able to do. Um, because I think a lot of times there are faux pas that can get you in lots of trouble if you don't mm -hmm. really have an understanding of what you're doing wrong, what, what was right. For instance, last week I was in a grocery store and a, a bottle fell out the, the cart not my fault it just slid out the cart well it slid and hit my foot well in america i could be like uh, my foot because my foot hurt to this day it hurt it was a big bottle of uh olive oil well busted well when they came to clean it up they cleaned it up and put it back in the bottle and brought it to me like i was checking out and they were like okay the security came up and I'm like, first of all, I didn't break it intentionally. Like it fell out the box. Like, why am I re being responsible for this? And so I had to pay for that. Like it could have been a whole situation where the, they called the police and yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I just was like, whatever, I'll pay for it. Let's go. <laughs> because I don't, I, don't, I didn't have time, number one. And right. it was a communication issue. And, but that is not customary in America. If something falls in the, in the store and it could be your fault, you can, you know, you just keep it moving and they're going to come clean it up. They'll call the people and, you know, they're going to write that off. I've even experienced like living in Korea, I had a person that had to call me and we had to get a lawyer involved because she got on the bus. They had changed the rates the day before. She didn't know she went and paid the same rate. The bus driver drove to the police station and they they, they didn't take her to jail, but basically um, explained to her that she didn't pay the fare and put her off the bus. And so she didn't know what was going on. She almost lost her job. Um, she was in the, in the police station for like four hours. We had to get her a lawyer, things like that. So it's just important to kind of really be aware, to be cognizant that things are different and, and then not, not be arrogant about certain things. It's like, I could have been having that in my country. Da, 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 da. What's that going to do? You're not in your country. That doesn't matter. Right. If it makes sense to you in your country, you should stay in your country. Okay, that doesn't make sense to me. And I don't understand it. But at the same time, I don't have to understand it. I just have to respect it. And you just have to be open and willing to go with the flow. And oftentimes, some things don't even make sense. That's, that just literally don't make sense. You're going to make me pay for this thing that I didn't break. Like I didn't, my child didn't pull it off the you know shelf or, you know, I didn't right. run through here and just like mess up everything. I wasn't in here licking ice cream, you know, and doing any of those things. Right. It just happened to fall. Um, but in other countries that becomes your responsibility. So you just pay it and keep it moving. Okay. So what about the sugar? Because um, some places have sugar taxes. Have you experienced that in Mexico? Sugar, a sugar tax on? I have not. More sugar. Okay. All right. That that's what I was like. I wanted to find out about that in the restaurants. How do you find the the restaurants there? Very similar to being in the United States. Um, no different. Um, yeah, I mean, most places. They'll either have a VAT or a tax um, and you pay that. That may also include gratuity in a lot of places. Well, here you, it's not gratuity. They'll ask you if you want to add gratuity. So it's very similar and you can choose 10, 15, 20%. You can choose not to give gratuity, whatever. Um, but you just need to culturally understand in different areas, like what the gratuity is, um, and then there's gratuity for, you know, different things at different levels. And it's just, you just have to know that because sometimes you'll like get out of, uh, or have somebody deliver something and you like, oh, I pay for that service, but they also are expecting gratuity or a right. tip. Right. Um, so just being aware of that and oftentimes I think when you're traveling there's like different books that you can get but then in certain smaller areas those things change so you just need to know what's customary and you can just ask okay what about health insurance while you're there how does that work for you 
So I have health insurance through the United States that um, can translate here. Um, but I know several people who didn't have health insurance. Um, I'm also I have a resident card so I can get insurance here. Um, so it's just really understanding how the healthcare works and here they're going to expect you to have insurance and if you have to go to the doctor you need to either have the cash or get you some insurance because they're not going to see you or they're going to expect your payment to be paid in full before they even work on you so wow wow so that's good to know what was I going to say insurance and you suggest so are there any particular companies that you can recommend for people to look at to have insurance before they come to um to mexico that they might not know um, how to look that up because i know so that I go ahead go ahead i was um, saying no go ahead <laughs> okay um, yeah, so like Cigna, Cigna has a global plan, um, but you can look up different plans. And if you're, so if you're traveling on a travel visa, which could be 30, 60, 90 days, 120 days, 180 days, it just depends on the country that you're going to. Those are things that you can look up and you, if you're buying an airline ticket, you can buy extended travel insurance that will cover health care costs as well. So it's just really talking to an insurance company and asking what their policies, procedures, and what countries they cover. Um, but there are health insurance coverages that will translate beyond your country. Um, but that's individually, you just need to know what countries are covered, where you're going, um, what the procedures are. Some some insurance companies, you pay out of pocket, then you get reimbursed. So you just need to kind of do research on that because it's not like a one thing fits all. It's depending on country by country. It depends on area. And then now COVID has changed a lot of that because you weren't able to travel to certain countries. Now you're able to travel to, to more countries. Um, so it's just really about finding out what's covered in that country. So do you have a car? I do not have a car yet. Um, I had looked into a car. I had an agent that I was working with or I'm still working with who brought me a car and I chose not to take that particular car, but they did all the like, just making sure that the car was legit, that um, it had its papers, that um, the mileage was correct, it hadn't been changed. Um, so they do all of that and you can find people who are able to do that and can sell you a car so that the car is yours. I know here in uh, Mexico, if you buy a car and you don't have residency, the car still stays with whoever the owner is. And then you're basically, you bought the car, but the paperwork ha can't be changed into your name. However, I have residency so I can buy a car. I can go to a lot and purchase a car and it'll be in my name. The insurance will be in my name. Um, so that just knowing that and knowing who to work with. So if you're going to be an expat, don't just assume like in Korea, I had a car, I purchased the car. I went, I got insurance. I had a driver's license, all that. 
you know, so I was covered. Um, and not normally insurance in a foreign country is a lot cheaper. Like in Korea, I think I paid $200 for the whole entire year. Um, and here in Mexico, like I have renter's insurance and I pay like $300 for renter's insurance, but it covers the whole entire year. Um, it covers all, everything in it, in, in the house, if somebody were to fall, just like it would in the States, it just costs more in the States. Um, so you just have to normally work with somebody who deals with certain things. Normally it's an agent or um, an underwriter or something like that before you buy a car or get into it because you need to know what the laws are. Right. So my next question is, um, do you have um, an inter you have a Mexican driver's license or or American? Okay. You don't have to have an, a Mexican driver's license to drive in Mexico. Um, you don't even if I would have drove my car over, um, I wouldn't have to change my place or anything because um, that comes with me and my visa. But it just depends on like, you know, are you purchasing the car there? Do you want to get the driver's license? Um, if you are a resident, you can go ahead and get your driver's license and, and have a Mexican driver's license. Um, I don't have a car yet, so I haven't even dealt with any of that. Okay, so could you share some of the steps you might take to be uh, a res to get a residential visa? Yeah, so to get a residential visa here in Mexico, you would go through the consulate in the country that you came from. So in the US, you would go to a major city like DC. I live in DC, so I contacted DC. And because of COVID, the offices were closed. So you had to get a, um, an appointment, but to get the appointment, you had to have a certain income level um, per month that you're making over a span of time. And then there were criteria you fill out the application, you send the application and make sure you meet all criteria. Then you send that off, then they give you the interview. Um, and basically my interview process was null and void because I just showed up and I had all my paperwork together. They already checked my paperwork to make sure I qualify. Otherwise I wouldn't have got the interview. Um, when I showed up, I had to do my fingerprinting. I had to take a, a picture. I had to come with a picture like a, a passport picture, um, then bring all my paperwork, my passport. Um, if you are ha if you have a child, you also need to bring uh, a postal uh, birth certificate. So that means you have to send it off to the state in which you the child was born. Have them verify and apostle the the paperwork or the birth certificate. Then they'll send it back to you. You take that information. Um, they normally do an interview process where they ask you questions, blah, blah, blah. In DC, they did not. <laughs> um, and in 20 minutes, I had my passport stamped um, with the visa. I came into the country. They give you a different stamp. Um, then you have to make um, an appointment with, you have 30 days to go in and get your actual green card or the, the, the ID card. And um, that process is a little bit difficult here because they do, you have to transcribe all of the information into Spanish. So what I did was I hired a, a lawyer. They did all that paperwork. They went, got my appointment. They stood in line for me. I went, um, showed up when my appointment was there. 
she stood in line. Then once it was my time, I came, I went in, took my picture, they gave me my card and I left. So it was quite easy, but that process can take a long time. If you, if you do it yourself, you can do it yourself. But again, remember communication, language barrier, it's probably easier to hire a lawyer. <laughs> so okay. that's what I did. So how much would you say the lawyer would cost you? Is you know, because you know in the States it's like thousands and thousands of dollars. No, um, the lawyer normally I got a different rate, <laughs> but okay. uh the lawyer normally let's translate that to like I think it was like a hundred hundred dollars to oh, do work right. or whatever. Okay, so we're gonna talk, you're not aged or retired. Do they have a retirement visa that people can get and actually like in Belize they have retirement visa certain age and blah, 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 there's benefit. Yeah, so you have to have, you have to be at least, I think 65, 63, 65 to, to get a permanent residency. Um, you have to have a certain income level each month. So you have to meet income, you have to meet age requirement. You can get a permanent without meeting that if you pay for one, basically. And you just have to have a certain income level and be able to prove that. And for you guys that want to know, go online and actually look it up. Uh, look up Mexico. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, because no, I was going to say each consulate is different. So if you go to Atlanta consulate, they the requirements are going to be a little bit different than if you go to the DC consulate or if you go to Houston consulate. And some of the consulates are much difficult, much more difficult in the sense that you would have to do an interview. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to, you know, vet you to see if you are able to get a visa. Um, so some of the, like I saw, some of them were requiring $2,500 that you have to, as a single person, um, if you have a family, it might be 5,000. So it, it just depends on the consulate in which you're going to go to get the um, interview. So look that up and then find out what the requirements are and make sure that you meet them. And yeah. some people know that it's easier in certain cities to get it without going through all the, the hoops. So um, just look that up and make sure that you meet all the requirements because I know plenty of people who have been denied. Right. And it could happen. See, the thing is, when I was in Mexico, um, in Tijuana, going to Carmen de Blas is very easy. I have my own car. Um, that's another thing you want to look at. I had to have insurance on my car. In order for it there, I paid uh, $650 to have insurance on my car so I could drive it around uh, Mexico while I lived there. And that's for a certain amount of days. <laughs> so that's something you look at. I know that some people bring their car and actually to export my car, they want it just to start was $450, which I thought was like mad crazy. Okay. So that's what I want people to be aware of some things. So um, any other advice you would uh, suggest for anybody else? Like, they exploring their dreams to be in an expat and or retired or, you know, things that can help them foresee a happy life as an expert. Um, I think 
the advice that I would give is just to really be aware of who you are, aware of what you need and want, and also just come with open minds that if you're going to anybody's country, it's just like going to anybody's house. Um, be respectful of their house, be respectful of their culture, be respectful of the rules and regulations. And that is not for the faint of heart. So if you need to be around family all the time, that that's not saying that you can't go because you can find family. Like family doesn't have to be blood. Family can just be like-minded individuals that um, are willing to receive you. So um, I think it's also important just just to really do research. Like I don't, I tell people all the time, you don't have to do a whole bunch of research. You don't have to go and spend hours and hours at the library, hours and hours on Google. You don't have to do any of that because a lot of times that's been done for you now. Back in the early 2000s, there wasn't nobody doing it. We did it for them. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's important that you you do kind of look at where you're going. Like you can go on YouTube. There's a lot of people who've done a lot of research for you. It's not that difficult anymore. It's a lot easier than it used to be. Um, but have an open mind, um, be respectful. And it's just know yourself. And then also know that if you get somewhere and it's not for you, you can leave. It's, you, you're not tied to a place. Um, but be willing to go explore and see. And if it's not for you, okay, it's not for you. Go to the next place. Um, but have an open mind and be clear about what your desires are. Now your desires may change. You might get to a place and be like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, I was capable of doing certain things. I didn't know that I was willing to do certain things. I didn't know that I even desired to do certain things. But if you never go and never see and never do, then you won't know. So right. I think it's, it's extremely important to just really be open-minded about the experience again it's a journey it's not about getting to the destination the destination is the destination the journey is where the actual action happens and where you really experience life so be open to it um yeah so there are several now <laughs> now after 20 years in the game there are so many different resources out there you have youtube you have google you have bloggers you have vloggers, you have um, different companies, and a lot of people are, are providing resources. So for us, there's a group called Expat Women of Color. That there's over 6,000 women that, that people ask questions, you get content, people have blogs, they, they give out their blogs. We have a list, list of resources um, for people. Some of the resources are outdated, but the, the thing is that you have questions that you can ask and people there to answer them and you have all these people in different countries and so if there's a country you are wanting to go to or willing to go to there are people who are there that can provide resources so there's a, a wealth of knowledge um my blog my website is chadjones.com i offer consulting and coaching services and i do astral Carthology, if you are interested in knowing like where your soul wants you to be <laughs> and so that you're connected to the place that you want to go, whether it's for love, whether it's for money, whether it's for the best quality of life, whether it's for spiritual growth and development, you can learn that. 
Um, I also talk to people about intercultural awareness. I, I consult with companies. Um, I'm, I'm a certified diversity professional. I'm certified in intercultural communications and I'm also a life coach in emotional intelligence as well as, well as life. And so I, I have a plethora of, of information and resources. I don't work for free, but <laughs> so I will charge you. But um, you can definitely call and, and book a cons- consultation with me. Um, and then I also, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, just as Shaw Jones. So Okay, that's what I want. So for you guys, I'm going to type in her information. When I get it, it'll be at the bottom of the video. And then like when this airs, you're actually going to see it at the beginning of the video as well as at the end. So please stay tuned for the information, just in case you didn't have it. I want you to get in contact with her. And just like Audrey Lee, y'all saw an example of what a, uh, what we call astral travel was. We had that, I showed you where we did my daughter. Uh, Well, she did it more so, yeah, for my daughter, we did astral travel. I'm part of an astro, astro, astrodent. Uh, so I know what you're talking about the travel to figure out what it is. So we did my daughter uh, to see what her life is. And she did the interpretation as well. So it's insane. Thank you, spirit. <laughs> it's insane. So you're the second person. So this makes me happy. So really, guys, really get in touch with Miss Cha Jones because she has a plethora of information. I've talked to her for many, many moons, as I said. And it's been resourceful and helpful to me. And you guys stay tuned for Food Alchemy Network. This is a series called Expats and we will continue. So we'll see you on our next video. Bye, ladies and gentlemen.